0: I was in a Bible class, a college Bible class, and the professor divided us up into groups. And we were talking. I don't really remember. I don't remember the class. I don't remember the conversation or the, I'm sorry, I don't remember the topic we were supposed to be discussing, but I remember we got onto the topic of institutions and it was myself and just two other people. And the professor was walking around, eavesdropping, kind of just engaging in different groups. And we started talking about institutions, and I started talking about how the church is not an institution, and God never intended it to be an institution, and the professor happened to walk by at that time. And he said, no, the church is an institution. And I kind of just got silent. I didn't really know how to respond. I didn't know how to defend or prove my statement That the church is not an institution. I knew that I believed that and I felt that. But in the moment, I think at the time, it was just kind of a forming idea. That was, oh man, probably 15 years ago at least. And now I know why I believe that. But do you know why the church is not an institution? Do you know what institutions are? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Specifically, we're going to talk about things old and new. What about the old and the new? This is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall-Ory. I am a spiritual director, a teacher of contemplation, and a carpenter. So, from all of those things, I draw out... I draw from all of those things to talk to you today, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you today about. Uh, there's this really cool verse kind of references this idea, this idea that life is a lot like drawing upon old experiences and knowledge to form new experiences and knowledge. I think that's really interesting and fascinating. Um, there's a I'm gonna go to that verse, I'm gonna look it up. Let me jump over there, see if I can. Here we go. Oh. Um Jesus is talking. Here we go. Here, here we go. Jesus is teaching. This is Matthew chapter 13. And he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. That's the NIV. And another translation that says he brings out things both old and new. And I've just kind of been thinking about this idea. This idea that God is never changing, but always new. And Jesus here says that a good kingdom teacher is like someone who brings out of their storehouse things both old and new. I think there is this tension in the church. So I've studied church history, I've studied culture, human culture in general, but I've also studied church history um, over the last 2,000 years, which is the span of church history. Um, and I think there is this tension in the church of, of this reality that God is never changing but always new. And so what we have in the Christian religion is unchanging truth but always new expressions. Like Because it stems from the character of the God we worship, the God we follow. Right, God is... Never changing, but always new. What does that mean? The church is always kind of putting forth the same basic truth, but it always has new expressions. And there's this also this other interesting idea, and I want to get into this too as a part of it, um, this idea of an ark. Not A-R-K, but A-R-C. There's an ark to the Bible, I think we tend to take a flat view of history. We kind of think the way that we are culturally, the way that we exercise our content, consciousness, our human consciousness, the, the way we're able to perceive things is the way that, that everyone has always been able to perceive things throughout history. But having studied culture and kind of having studied the Bible and understanding that the Bible is, has an arc. Um, what we can really see is that human consciousness has evolved. It has progressed. And uh, there's some very basic examples that I can give. For example, slavery has been practiced in human culture from the beginning. As far as we can tell, you know, in recorded history, we can see that slavery has been practiced for as long as we can remember. But about... A hundred years ago or so, uh, everybody decided that slavery was wrong. Every all the Western great Western nations began to one by one eradicate slavery, outlaw slavery. America was actually one of the last, interestingly enough, but every every nation kind of on its own, there was this, this spontaneous movement of human consciousness that began to, to effervesce and say, Well, hey, you know what? The slavery thing, owning one human owning another, treating a human like their cattle. This is wrong. And the treatment of women. We can see clearly that the treatment of women has changed and progressed throughout history that women were once considered almost like cattle too. They didn't have any rights, they didn't really have any power in society. They couldn't own even own land for the most part. But now we see that there has been this growing perception of the rights and the freedoms of women. And so human culture is always progressing. And I believe that is because God is leading human culture and human consciousness on an upward journey to become more like God to see more like God, to perceive things more like God, to live out of the heart of God more. And so, even though God is never changing, still God is always new. And God is always doing new things. And so, there is this tension with God's people between the old and the new. There's this tension between what God has done and what God has established and how God has often established his people in a movement. And then there's the tension of God wanting to do new things and pull us to new places and even higher levels of consciousness, of awareness. And here's another good example. With slavery, and in in the American experiment, when slavery was being contested, I actually did a lot of research. I helped develop a cultural exhibit for the West Virginia Cultural Museum and Department around John Brown. So I had to do a lot of research around the Civil War. John Brown, if you don't know, was a a, a slavery rights, or a, he was an abolitionist, which means he was against slavery. He was a white guy that lived in Kansas, among other places, but he decided basically to start waging war, fighting a battle against those who approved of slavery, and Harper's Ferry was his last stand where he got a bunch of guns and and was going to institute a revolution, basically, to free the slaves, all on his own. He's an amazing, interesting person, but as a result, I studied kind of the Civil War, what led up. I studied what led up to the Civil War because a lot of people think that John Brown's incident at the Harper's Ferry kind of was the spark that ignited the powder keg of the civil war like it brought both sides to the reality that this wasn't going to be solved peacefully uh, unfortunately but so i've studied kind of what the events that led up to the civil war and it's very interesting to note that on both sides pro-slavery anti-slavery both sides were christian and both sides used the bible and God and Christianity to prove the, the validity of their point. So my point is, when you're, we're talking about the evolution of human consciousness and morality and perception, there was one group of Christians during the American fight over slavery, there was one group of Christians who said, no, God condones slavery, and slavery's fine, and the Bible condones slavery. And there was another group of Christians that said, it is our deeply held Christian belief that God is against slavery. Well, how is that possible? It's How can two people read the same book and follow the same God and have such t- two such starkly opposing views, right? I mean, the, there's, there's not much more oppositional than should we own people or should we not? Both groups were Christian. How can two groups view things so differently? Because con- human consciousness evolves. Our, the way we perceive... The way we perceive the world, the way we perceive God, the way we perceive the Bible and what the Bible says, it's interesting to note that our level of consciousness and perception, our ability to perceive truth affects how we see truth. And so so someone can read the Bible and go, oh, supports slavery, says slavery is fine. Another group can say, no, God is adamantly against slavery. And now almost everybody would say, no, God is against slavery. Slavery is not right. And I believe the Bible supports that. But the reason that we see this conflict or this tension even in the Bible is because God is leading humanity along a journey, an upward journey of consciousness. And it's a journey and it's, there are steps. And so I would say, like with, when it comes to slavery, God's end goal was always that every single person has the same dignity, honor, and value. But God couldn't institute that 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. And so it was in the seventeen. it was in the, sorry, it was in the 1800s when finally human consciousness and human um, perception was able and ready to see this truth. And so we have... The reality that God never changes, God's value of every person has never changed, God's perception of the world and reality has never changed, and yet God is always doing something new because God is always leading us on an upward journey of becoming more and more like him and her. So there's always this tension. Oftentimes, as Christians, as religious people, as spiritual people, we can get stuck in a stage. We can get stuck at a level of consciousness. We can get stuck thinking that we've reached the end of the journey that God has us on when it comes to how we perceive truth in God and the world. But that's not true. God is ever the same, but always new. Jesus said, A good Kingdom person brings out of their storehouse both things, both old and new, and that's been my journey. It's been it's been interesting for me. I'm very ecumenical, which means that I really love to delve into and swim in the waters of all Christian traditions and and faith movements. I am also um, interfaith. I I see the value in other religions. Um. I don't really, I'm not exclusive in saying, well, Christianity is the only expression of God in the world. But my point is that I can see the value in the things of old, in what people have said in the past about God. Like, there's value in, in engaging and learning from. All the things that people have experienced about God in the past. That's why we value the Bible or any religious text or any religious tradition. They all have good things. Those are old things. Those are things that God once did, once said, once revealed. Those are movements that God once established. Churches, denominations, there's value there. I love a lot about the Catholic tradition. I love the Protestant tradition. I love Eastern Orthodox tradition. I love contemplation. I've just learned like that's all old. So I bring out of my storehouse these old things, but don't forget to bring out new things because we learn from these things and we grow. We grow and we grow closer and closer to the mind and heart of God. And so... What the church believed a hundred years ago should not be what the church believes now. What the where the church was and what the church was doing and what the church was about a hundred years ago should not be what the church is about now. We should be growing and understanding. Did you know that it's another good example? It was believed that interracial marriage was just wrong, and the and the church affirmed that. Interracial marriage it, it was just wrong. It was seen as wrong. you should not marry in between the races. I mean, you could point back to the Tower of Babel where God separates language and race and say, God does not like the mixing of races And this is what people believed, and this was a Christian value. What's well, not anymore? That was a value just about 50 years ago. Not that long ago, the people were saying you should not It's, a, it's an abomination for you to for interracial marriage. It's wrong. I actually dated a Asian girl. I'm trying to remember. I think I was in high school at the time. And man the looks I got. I'm a white boy, if you didn't know. <laughs> um, and I dated an Asian girl and I remember just like walking through the mall with her or going out places and just getting stared at. That was oh well, gosh, I'm I'm forty seven, so That was about 35 years ago. 35 years ago, me dating an Asian girl, I got looked at. I got looks from people because we weren't the same race, the same ethnicity. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? And now it's like nobody would bat an eye. Well, almost nobody. (laughs) My point is human consciousness evolves and that's the way it's supposed to be. There's a, there's a, And there's actually a lot of new research and, and studies and kind of a body of research that's growing around this idea of the evolving human consciousness. It's called, one of the things that's called is spiral dynamics. Now, I am by no means an expert in spiral dynamics. I'm not even a novice. <laughs> I hardly know anything about spiral dynamics at all. But it is a... It's an attempt to lay out the evolution of human consciousness. Um, and it uses colors and it uses... I'm going to attempt to... I, I did a little diagram. Oh, hold on. Yeah, I did a little diagram on this. I kind of wrote it out myself. Um, it uses color. And there's obviously, there is a progression of human consciousness. And it, it kind of... It kind of um, imagines it as different periods in human history. But I also think it kind of fits the human progression of an individual from infancy from to adulthood. It can kind of do both. And I think it should do both. I think that as we grow as humans, as spiritual, physical spiritual beings, we, our consciousness should also grow. Our perception and our our. It's kind of what I would say is spiritual growth and also just normal maturity in in human development. It's not always true of everybody. but So, Spiral Dynamics. um, There are two, four, six, eight. There's there's different ways people view this, but there's basically eight levels. The first is beige. It's called the Archaic. And it would be like when human consciousness is focused on survival. Like just basic needs. And you can see like when early man would have been just focused on trying. I mean, you're just out in the wilderness, right? The most basic kind of human existence, the most archaic and old would have been a human person trying to survive in the wild. No, no technology, no industry, no civilization. There's a a cartoon called The Crudes. That would be archaic man. Uh, There's a phrase, uh, Nicolas Cage is the main character, he's the father character, and he's like, You must never, not ever, or you must, his phrase is, You must never, not, never be afraid. (laughs) He's like, That's basic, archaic human consciousness. You gotta be afraid, you gotta survival. The next is Violet. These are by colors, these levels. Violet would be magical. It's when human culture began to believe and worship gods. and The idea was just we need to appease. We don't understand go- gods. We don't have any knowledge about the gods, except we need to appease the gods if we want our crops to grow and our kids to, to be born and, and to be healthy and all that stuff. Red was next, and that's called mythical. It's when we began to develop a national sense or more more tribal where people began to rally around kings and kingdoms and human consciousness began to form around dynamic leaders, individuals. And then blue would be institutional, where we began to... uh, Human consciousness began to form around the idea that we can organize around an institution, a hierarchy of people or systems. Orange was scientific which is more focused on logic and we've been kind of been there for a while more recently logic and truth and it forms more on the on right thinking like making sure you've got the right truths and that has formed that's another level of human consciousness green is more communal it's more empathic we need to consider people's feelings and can you see how that's that's pretty much where we've been now Can you understand like human consciousness now, where people are saying, "Oh, we need to consider minorities. We need we need to we are concerned about the rights of individuals and minority groups and the LGBTQ community and black community and the Hispanic community. We need to be inclusive, more accepting. It's more it's and it's more intuitive and emotional and empathic. The next level is where a lot of people think that we are just starting to head, and it's called integrated." It's about inclusion and connection. And it it really sees how all these other levels are connected. And then the last is turquoise, which is holistic, which is harmony. Um, You may may or may not be interested in all that. Uh, As I've said, I really just yesterday was... I've heard this used by... A lot of spiritual teachers I listen to and just different people I've heard this referred to, but just yesterday I sat down and tried to kind of map it out for myself. My point, you don't need to remember anything about spiral dynamics except the fact that human consciousness has evolved throughout history. But here's the other thing. We also evolve throughout our human life in these stages. We, You know, when a baby's born, they're, what's their concern? They just care about survival. They want to... They want to be comfortable. They want to, they want their diaper changed. They want to be fed. They want to sleep. It's just basic survival. And then, a younger child is concerned about who's in charge, the leader, their mom and dad. And then, a older child, my my eight year old is doing this now. He's more concerned about his peer group now. Um, that would be more. And then, um, so he's branching out beyond just who's in charge, and now it's like, well, there's this system, this his peer group, and there's more of a, of a peer, institutional, communal influence. And of course, as we get into, I think teenagers are about truth. They know more than anybody, right? Teenagers could be—that's more scientific. And then communal. I think that's college. That sounds like college to me, right? You're hanging out. You're, um, it's about and kids go off to college. I don't go to college to learn. They go to college to hang out with their friends, <laughs> right? And then integrated. I, I mean, it's not a given that we progress this way, but I think this is, you can see how this can be a natural progression for not just human consciousness over the history of humanity, but also individuals. And it's also true that we don't progress past these things. We progress to these things and then we, when we go to the next level we don't lose the knowledge of previous levels of consciousness. Um, Ken Wilber and my one of my favorite spiritual teachers, Richard Rohr, use this phrase. It's include and transcend. As your human consciousness develops and, and grows you don't you don't leave behind lower levels of consciousness. You include and in transcend. So you learn how to survive as a human. You don't stop learning how to survive. Or you don't stop surviving. Like Once you learn how to survive in the world, however that, you know, how to get a paycheck, you know, get your food, have shelter, like you don't stop doing that, right? You don't go like, I've evolved beyond needing to eat. <laughs> you include and in transcend. So like all these stages... They build on each other, right? You never stop needing to survive. You never stop needing to have leaders in your life, in in the corporate world or your business world or religious life. There are leaders, and then there's the institution. Uh, What I want to get in more into, I wanted to just give a brief introduction to Spiral Dynamics and uh, in this larger idea of the of Evolving human consciousness what I want to address even more is that the church often gets very stuck at a stage and has trouble moving on when God is moving on and I see this and I interact with people in that paradigm very often the church I believe is very stuck in the institutional stage well, what is an institution? Remember, I started this whole thing by um, highlighting that conversation I was having in that class. And the professor said, the church is an institution. And I was like, no, I don't think it is. And now, I've come to understand why. Well, what is an institution? An institution. And, and institutions evolved because there were you know the lower the level of human consciousness right below institutional was leader and so even in the old testament kings and kingdoms were based around leaders one person was in charge and people rallied around one person as a leader and in the old testament you see how that system worked when there was a good king the nation was good they followed god they did what they were supposed to everything was good but when a bad king came the whole whole nation was overturned and everything was bad and so the institutional evolved so that that human culture and human community human um, groups could have a stability beyond one person good you know if if, if your culture your group is Allied around a person, one leader when and you have a good leader when they're gone in churches experience this too you have a dynamic pastor that pastor retires they bring in someone new they're not as good the church falls apart when you when you ground yourself around a person that's not as stable and so institutions evolved because people said, you know what what would be better than one one leader who who can die and and leaders that come and go is we could form ourselves around a hierarchy of rules and ideas. And those can guide people. That's institutional. The church has been in the institutional stage for quite a while. But why do I think the church is not an institution It was never meant to be an institution? Because an institution is centered around rules, following the right rules, Following the right truths. And, and of course, the, the uh, church has kind of naturally drifted easily into the scientific level, which is above the institutional, because rules and truth. Well, you know, it's a natural progression to say having, following the right rules is important, and then also having the right truth is important, right? We are a people. This is, I mean, this sounds, this, does this not sound like it fits the church? We are the people with the right rules and the right truth. That's institutional scientific. And that's where we are. Why is that not God's end goal? <laughs> this is good. This is really good. I want you to pay attention. This is really good. Why is God's end goal not right rules and right truth? Doesn't that sound like what Christianity is centered around? I am, the, I am Christian, which means I have the right rules and I have the right truth. What did Jesus say was the center point of Christianity? What did Jesus say? Follow me. Be my disciple. I am one with the Father. Father, make them one as we are one. What is the center point of Christianity? According to Jesus, relationship. Institutions are designed to circumvent relationship because the stage before institutional was based on a relationship with one dominant leader. It was called a kingdom. Guess what Jesus said? He came to institute the kingdom of God. That's about relationship. Now, it doesn't mean that we are at that, um, in spiral dynamics, that level. The way that people related to God at that stage wasn't necessarily good because God was just this dictator, this authoritative dictator, handing down dogmas and dogmatic rules to be followed like a hard-nosed tyrant. But my point is that as we've progressed, it's been good to progress to say, well, there are some good principles that we should follow as God's people, and there are some good truths we should follow. Those things are not untrue or unhelpful, but you cannot get an institution out of a relationship Is marriage an institution? Yeah, I hear that phrase. Marriage is a good institution. What does that mean? It's not an institution at all. I have a relationship with my wife. It's based on having a healthy, good, thriving relationship. You can't build an institution around a relationship. You can have some good truths. You can have some good rules for marriage. You can have some good truths about what a healthy marriage should be like. And you can have some good teaching about all of that. But the center point is not rules and truths. Rules and truths help guide you along the way, like good disciplines, like good teaching. But the end journey is to be in relationship. Jesus said the end goal was oneness, was abiding. He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He, he said, I and the Father will come and make our home in you and abide with you. The word, look, look at the, how many times the word in. And with our use, when Jesus is talking about kind of what this thing is about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. Dwelling relationship is the center point. Institutions are actually designed to make relationship unnecessary when it comes to organization of, of people and groups. It's counter-relational. That's what I'm saying. Institutions are counter-relational. You can be in the institutional and scientific approach to church. You can be a Christian and never know God. But being a Christian is actually being a follower of Christ. But when you come to define following Christ as having the right rules and the right truths then you can think you're a follower of Christ by knowing the right things and having the right knowledge, but never actually having a relationship with Christ. One of the most, I think, stern and shocking verses about this is Matthew chapter 7. I think it's around verse 20 or 21. But... Jesus talks about people coming before God, trying to show that they were right. They were holy, like God wanted. So Jesus is saying, talking about kind of a story, within the context of kind of like a story. He's saying people will come and say, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick? Did we not do all these good works? And Jesus said, that doesn't matter. Depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. That, that one verse, that, that's always stuck out to me because basically Jesus is saying it's not about good works. It's not about doing the right stuff, having the right truth. It's about having the right relationship. I never knew you. What's surprising is those are the very, the very things that they claim to have done. Jesus never denies that they did them, number one. Number two, those are the very things that Jesus did. Jesus did the same things, but he says those aren't the things that are what God values or what matters? This, this are, those aren't the things that I'm about. It's not about doing good works. What does he say? Well, what did Jesus do? He said, "I do everything in relationship with my Father. It's about doing It's not about doing those things. It's about doing things out of relationship with God. That How can Jesus call these good works, the very ones that He did, evil? Because they did them apart from God. They did not do things out of relationship with God. And so it's easy for an institution for in an institutional approach, an institutional and scientific approach to God, to think we're doing all the right things and we have all the right truths and we have the right rules. And that's what matters. And so we're doing what God wants and we're pleasing God. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 27, or Matthew chapter 7, says that's not what it's about. You can actually be doing all the right things, keeping all the right rules and have all the right truth, but if you don't know God, you can end up doing the opposite of what God wants. Because you have to know God in order for all this to work. There is an intimate, direct, divine relationship that guides us. And my point in all of this is that we cannot keep moving forward with God and growing and learning and expanding our consciousness if we don't know how to be led by God out of the old and into the new. We'll get stuck. The institutional stage is very it can be very grounding. We have the right truth and we have the right rules. And don't tell me there's anything else. (laughs) We can get stuck when we don't have God leading us personally, directly out of these stages. We can get stuck and we can forget to keep moving with God. When we don't understand that moving with God is the point. That's why I'm a mystic. That's why I'm a contemplative. Because the contemplative tradition, which is the oldest Christian tradition... Other than the first century church, it is the oldest tradition and it teaches that it teaches union with God. Its it's main center point is knowing God personally. And if you don't know contemplation, I'll give you a little history. Around the third century, a couple big things happened. Constantine adopted Christianity as the official religion of Rome. And a bunch of crazy mystics, monks, said, hmm, I don't think this is what Jesus, this is going to change Christianity. I don't think this is what Jesus intended Christianity to be. We're going to get, get. we're going to leave, we're going to go out into the desert and we're going to make sure that we know God and we're going to make sure that knowing God doesn't get forgotten in it. And contemplation, especially when, especially within Catholicism, preserved this tradition of knowing God intimately and mystically as the center point of Christianity because they believed that's that's what it was. They believed that's what Jesus taught. And they saw the church becoming more institutional, becoming an official religion of a secular government, and they said, this is going to do something to Christianity. It's going to shift the focus of Christianity away from a relationship with God and it's going to form it around rules and truths. And so the last 2,000 years of Christianity has been the formation of a religion centered on right rules and right truth and not so much on a right relationship with God, although we pay lip service to that because you can't ignore that. We say we have the Holy Spirit. We say we have a relationship with God and we pray. For the most part, our relationship is with an institution. With right rules and right truth. And there's no shame in that and there's no criticism because that's the way human consciousness has progressed. And that's been the natural progression that God has had us on. But when you don't understand that the next stage, the next few stages are more empathic, relational and communal then you won't move forward with God as God moves the church and all human history forward really my challenge my point is don't get stuck in an institution here's another way I like to frame it When it comes to relationship, when it comes to all of this, you can think of it like the difference between an orphanage and a family. An orphanage takes care of children in a very institutional way. Uh, A really good example would be um, Annie. Is is the movie called Annie? Yeah, I think it's called Annie. Little Orphan Annie. And that movie... Annie, if, you, if you've never seen the movie, I'll try and give a brief synopsis. Annie lives in an orphanage, and it's run by this lady who's basically very cruel. There's harsh rules. Very strict. The orphanage takes care of kids. It gives them their basic meals. It gives them shelter. And that's it. Very strict. Rule-oriented. Truth-oriented. That's an, that's an institutional approach to relationship. Like, hey... You got you got, you know, we're feeding you, we're clothing you, got got a warm bed. What else do you need? That's an orphanage. God did not create this whole thing to be an orphanage. What is an orphanage? Kids that don't have a relationship with their parents. What's a family? Kids that live in relationship with their parents. Christianity is not an orphanage, people. We are not meant to live in separation from our divine parents, the Holy Spirit, God our Father, Jesus Christ. We're meant to have a direct relationship. Christianity as an institution and a system of truths and rules is an orphanage. It's kids who talk about their parents, who claim to have parents, who know they're out there somewhere, but they're living by rules and right truths, not by a right relationship. And again, I'm not saying that right, some good principles and good truths aren't integral to this. And like I said, you include and transcend as you grow. I mean, think about your spiritual journey. You started out. What did you start out doing? You started out in those lower levels of consciousness. You did what you were told, right? Leaders, your parents, people said, this is what you're supposed to think about God and believe about God. These are the right truths. You were taught, but you followed people first. And then you began to grow. And, and I mean, this is the way you should, have, you should progress in your Christianity and your spirituality. is You believe it first because you're told it by people you trust. That's the leader paradigm. And then you begin to realize that you can learn it for yourself. And you kind of grow into, well, there's some right rules to follow that I can know myself. So I no longer need to follow a person, but I can follow the right rules. And then after that, you begin to realize, well, there's some good truths that actually inform me about the right rules. So I better know the right truths. And so we progress. And eventually, those right truths should get us to a place where we realize, well, those right rules and right truths have come from a person, and I can know that person directly, and this is what the right rules and truths have been guiding me towards all along. It's the right person, being in a right relationship with God. But the rules and the right truths are not the relationship. You can have a relationship with rules and truths, but that's not the same as having a relationship with God. Don't get stuck in the institutional and scientific stages of your Christianity. And the church as a whole is wrestling against this progression as well. Clinging to its institutional formation and its scientific formation of having the right rules and the right truths. I see this, and I encounter this with people all the time, when I start to talk to people about what I call this inner experience, because that's how I experience God. I mean, I do experience God in the external world. As Romans says, chapter 1, the character qualities of God are evident in creation, but my direct intimate experience of God is mostly inside it's inner experience when I start to talk to Christians about my inner experience my relationship with God they get all they get all um, kind of befuddled and, and uh, defensive and they start saying well no the Bible says no my pastor says no my tradition teaches you sound crazy to me I'm just gonna they run back to their Bible and their truth well, that's the difference between different levels of consciousness. What, what they're really saying is, no, I've been taught that being a Christian is about the right rules and the right truths. And you're saying it's about relationship and you have a relationship. And that sounds weird and mystical and new age and hoodoo voodoo to me. And that scares me because I'm clinging to the fact that I have learned to be a Christian by having the right rules and the right truths. And what you're talking about doesn't make sense and that's like, and that does make sense to me because they're at that level. But what I'm doing is challenging them and I'm challenging you. The right rules, the right principles, and the right truths should be leading you somewhere beyond the right rules and the right truths. I like to say this all the time. It's just a good metaphor, a good paradigm. The right rules and the right truths are like a vehicle, good spiritual practices good principles good truths they're a vehicle that leads you on a journey but once you get to the end of the journey guess what's there there's a house and there's someone in that house that you're meant to dwell with God God So the vehicle leads you on a journey, but once you get to your destination, what are you supposed to do? You get out of the vehicle, you go into the house, and you meet the person you've been traveling towards your whole life. And that's the point. You're meant to be in relationship with God. You could spend your whole life practicing the right rules, delving into the right truths. But if they don't lead you to a relationship, then... Then... they haven't benefited you at all. They're meant to lead you on, not get you stuck. Don't get stuck in the stage of knowing the right rules and the right truths. Understand that they're meant to lead you to a right relationship with God. And once you get to that point of being in the right relationship with God, you don't really need the right rules and the right truths anymore. Because God is truth. Truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. When you have a relationship with truth as God, your truth becomes much more expansive because you're in relationship with truth as a person. I love this. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, don't worry about what, you, what when you go before leaders, when you have to speak and give a testimony of the truth don't worry about what you will say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say, the truth to say. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. He's called the Teacher. He is the one. He is Truth. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is. It's in the Psalms. I don't remember which Psalm it's in, but he's the Holy Spirit. She is imagined as wisdom, as a woman, Sophia, Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom or truth. Holy Spirit is imagined as truth walking through the streets. It's personified as a person. Truth is a person. It's a relationship we have with God who leads us into all truth and guides us. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. Because the Holy Spirit is all truth. Truth is a person. When we have a relationship with truth as a person... It's just a much different paradigm than truth as a set of ideas, rules, and principles. The point is to get to the house, to get out of the vehicle, the things that got us there, and to then go in and enter in and have a relationship with God. Um, had a lot of other verses looked up about, it's kind of funny, I don't know if... um, I just had a lot of verses looked up about this idea of God being both old and new. Uh, Well, I like this one. Jesus talks about this. I think this is a good illustration. This is a good illustration of how we progress in our levels of human consciousness. Jesus told this parable. He said, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch on an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. (coughs) That verse really befuddled me for a long, long time. I I thought about, what is this verse talking about? But now I understand. Now God has illuminated to me more. Jesus is saying... Every year, like like, there's this idea of seasons and harvest. You harvest the grapes. When you harvest the grapes, when you harvest new lessons and new revelation, new growth, you don't put it in your old wineskin. skin. Your old wine skin, the the old paradigm that used to be able to hold your old truth, won't hold your new truth. You've got to keep growing. Uh, and one of the other verses about the cloth, he says, if you put. A new a new patch of cloth on an old garment it will tear what what the the idea is that with clothing, the old is more weathered, clothing shrinks and stretches the new and the old are kind of weathered differently, and they 'll wear differently and they 'll pull apart as they wear because they're at different stages again stages of of progression you cannot fit new truth and new growth in your old paradigm. It will tear it apart. You have to expand. You have to get a new container, an expanded container to hold the new things you're learning, the new understanding, the new levels of consciousness. Include and transcend means as you grow, so does the container that holds what you know. (laughs) That rhymes. That was pretty good. As you grow, You must expand the container that holds what you know. Your new truth won't fit within the old. It doesn't mean you leave behind the old. It means you expand it to include the new. And all of them both reveal a larger idea of God and a larger level of consciousness. I love that. Um, That's really good. The challenge is to grow. The challenge is to let God lead you on a journey and to understand that the way you understand God now should not be the way you understand God tomorrow. God is both old and new. God is ever the same, but always new. What does that mean in our journey with God? It means that our journey throughout human history with God is one that has produced new and expanded levels of human consciousness. It means that our personal journey with God should also be producing new and expanded levels of human consciousness. It means that we need to be growing. <clears throat> it also means that the end goal of God is oneness, not institutions. God does not intend to leave us as orphans in the world. That's what Jesus, Jesus actually said that. I do not leave you as orphans in the world, but I send to you the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Isn't that beautiful? What I mean, what what could we say? What do we yearn for? What is it that we lament? Do we feel like orphans in the world without a father, without a, a guidance, without a guide, without a loving <clears throat> paternal presence? I Yes, we do. Do you not want to have God intimately, directly, walking with you? Isn't that why we pray? Isn't that why we bring our petitions to God and our concerns and our burdens? Jesus said, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Jesus said, "Come to me." Was he just being poetic? Was he just like he was like, oh, you know what? This sounds really nice. I, this this will really inspire people later. I'll say this, but it's just good. Verbiage. No, (laughs) no. Jesus wasn't a poet. He wasn't just a philosopher with some good ideas. He was truth. He was God. And he said, Come to me. Come to me. He said, I do not leave you as orphans. I'm not creating an orphanage here, an institution with rules, with right rules and right truths. I am leading you into relationship. And you know what? People weren't ready. Uh, my again, my one of my favorite spiritual teachers, Richard Rohr, says uh, he talks about the, this progression in this way. He says, Jesus was a mystic. Rome turned him into a religion. Greece turned him into a philosophy. Europe turned him into an institution, and America turned him into a business. If you don't understand how Christianity has progressed over the last 2,000 years, that's not, that's not surprising. I've had the benefit of studying the history of Christianity, studying the culture and how it's grown. What has influenced Christianity the most over the last 2,000 years? <clears throat> Governments. That's what's influenced Christianity. Rome, Europe, America. Governments and power institutions have co-opted Christianity and turned it into an institution as well. But that's also been the natural progression that we've been on, and that's okay. I I don't think people were ready for the deep truth that Jesus taught. And so in a sense, to get... Us to the point where we are ready. Christianity kind of had to be encapsulated in some containers along the way so that it could kind of grow to the point where we are now. Where we're ready, as Spiral Dynamics points out, for the level of consciousness that is more empathic, more relational, and more expansive and more integrated. But we understand the benefit of all the past levels. Like it's good that God, we see God as a leader, our good parent, and we need to follow and be obedient. It's good that we understand there are some good rules to follow. We can organize ourselves as Christians into groups. It's okay to have a hierarchy of leadership. and It's okay to have some good rules. It's okay to have some good truth. But ultimately, we need to understand that all this should lead us to a good relationship with God. I don't think... The world was ready for what Jesus was truly pointing us towards, this idea of oneness. It's thankfully, it's good that contemplation preserved the reality of having a deep relationship with God. There were people, monks, mostly monks in monasteries who really leaned in and practiced and had a deep, intimate and mystical relationship. It's good that that was not lost relationally and practically in the world. And that's why now, I believe, interest in contemplation is growing because now I think we're finally ready to actually do what Jesus came to teach. 2,000 years ago, we weren't ready. Human consciousness had not progressed to the point of being ready to really do what Jesus was pointing us towards, the end goal, relationship with God. We weren't ready. So... We went through all these stages, all these levels, institutional, scientific levels. But now I think we are ready. And now I think we're waking up to, oh, you know what? Jesus really taught about an intimate relationship with God. That's what he did. And he said, be like me. Be my followers. You know, I think... I think this is what it's about. I think we're finally ready. We're finally waking up and we're finally ready to hear this old message in a new way. (laughs) Old things and new. Jesus said, a good kingdom person brings out of their storehouse things both old and new. God says, behold, I do something new never changing, always new. Is that how you experience God? Is God always doing something new that doesn't erase the old but expands upon it and grows it? Is that your experience? Are you just stuck in a religion where you do the same thing over and over and over again? You go to church, hear the same sermons, the same basic message, the same basic ideas. You do the same basic things over and over. Is your Christian religion old, only old, repetitious, Ritualistic, redundant, mundane, old and new. It doesn't mean you leave behind the old. It doesn't mean you forsake your tradition or your mode or your church or your people group, your peers, your local church. But it means you grow as well. You add to it, you expand, include and transcend. You don't leave behind the old, but you expand. And you must get new wineskin for new wine. (sighs) God is ever the same, but always new. God has been leading his people on a journey. An upwards journey of expanded consciousness. And the end goal is to be like Jesus. I and the Father are one Father, as we are one, make them one The end goal is relationship with God The end goal is to be a mystic And a contemplative It's interesting, that's the oldest tradition And it's like we're coming back around Full circle to that again It's the oldest and it's the newest <laughs> I love it This is so good I hope you guys kind of get A taste for this and I hope it really excites you There's more. There's always more. There's always new. There's always new growth and new levels and new understanding. There's always God at the end of it all waiting to really be in an intimate relationship with you. My encouragement is to keep going. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in a stage in your own personal growth or in your Christian tradition or understanding. Don't stop going, keep driving that car of good Christian rules and truth down the highway, <laughs> but man, don't forget the destination and and look, it's not the end of the journey, right? I know I kind of that in that metaphor you get to the house, you go in and like. Life with God, when you truly finally start to interact with God on an intimate basis, where you hear, not you just don't talk to God like shouting words into the sky, but God begins to speak to you and you have this interplay. That's a new journey to take. It's a whole new path to walk with God. Finally, you've arrived at this place where you're in relationship with God intimately. And now there's a whole new journey to take, and so It's like ever new. Always the same. We're walking and walking. Sometimes we step into this place. We step beyond the veil into this space where we finally begin to hear God for ourselves. That's that's the goal. Be in relationship with God. Oneness with God. That's what Jesus taught. All right. I love you guys. I hope this has been encouraging and challenging. As always, you can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. This has been the Construction Monk Podcast. I appreciate you guys coming along, listening. And you don't have to agree or believe or affirm everything I say, but I hope that it challenges you and it makes you think. That's, That's my goal. Keep going, guys. All right. Love you. Bye.